Hey, I'm Jim Gleason, and I got hornswoggled into being on NOLA Films. TJ. And as always, I'm Plato. Hey, welcome back to NOLA Film Scene. And as you've heard, as we've presented these podcasts, a lot of our friends in New Orleans, we, we met in the circle exercise. And our current uh-huh. guest, no exception. Except he was the teacher, Jim Gleason himself. How you doing, sir? I'm good. And yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Doing good. So let's start it off with the circle. We've been telling mm-hmm. people we can't dive into it because you want people to be fresh right. when they come to it. In your words, tell them. Okay, cool. The circle exercise, I'll tell you the long version. I was in Los Angeles, and I had just started studying at the studio. And uh, the woman who ran the studio said, you should take this class. It was taught by a guy named Corey Allen, who was an actor uh, in the 50s and then a director in the 80s. If you've ever seen Rebel Without a Cause, he plays Buzz, James Dean's chief rival. So then he went on to direct Hill Street Blues in the 80s and got Emmys for directing. Just a great, great guy. Toward the end of his life, had the chance to take this class. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what they did when I went in. It kind of blew my mind, you know, because I had always approached acting from the perspective of trying to get things right. And one of the things the circle exercise emphasizes is there is no right or wrong. There's just whatever you would do. And uh, yeah. when you take that perspective, it really sort of it liberates you to be a little more reactive and, and true. So there's a lot of benefits to the circle. So I took the circle exercise and he didn't, he didn't call it that. I called it that because of the way that the room is oriented. He, he didn't even have a name for it. It was just like the Corey Allen class. So I took it every opportunity that I had. It really, really opened my mind and opened my eyes to to being much more present and real in my acting. What he didn't do was explain, how can we take this exercise and apply it to on-camera acting? He didn't do any of that. I had to figure it out on myself, by myself, but I did. And that's one thing I include when I teach it now. You know, one of the the precepts of acting, that the perspective that I teach from is, you have to believe that the scene that you're in, or the story that you're in, is your actual life. And I call this accepting your circumstances as truth. That's kind of a paraphrase of what Sanford Meisner says, which is acting is behaving honestly under imaginary circumstances. But in order to Mm -hmm. behave honestly, you have to accept those imaginary circumstances as your actual life. In the circle exercise, one of the things that one of the benefits that you can get is to not only understand what it means to accept your circumstances as truth, but to feel it. And you can't see now, but I'm pointing at my heart. (laughs) So (laughs) proves you have one. I understand. I Yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one benefit. Another benefit, and you probably heard this if you're an actor, you want to be in the moment. Actors say, I want to be in the moment, man. I want to be in the moment. Well, we live our lives in the moment. You and I, you know, are living our lives in our moments right now. The circle exercise can really help you to take your focus off of yourself and what you're doing and on the moment because you don't know what's going to happen next in the circle, which is one of the benefits of it. Another one is for film and television acting. The truth of the matter is, just like we are now, each one of you is kind of like that. This is the shot, you know. This is the shot they always work toward. Whether it's a wide shot or whether you know we start with Kubrick and you have a giant shot. And for people listening, it's basically mid chest to top of your head. Yeah, it's the shot that you see right now. Right, they can't see. Makes these eyes. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, we get some video on. I'm sorry for interrupting. A listening podcast. Yes. So it's from, it's basically a, a bust shot. You're from your, the middle of your chest, to the top of your head, and your eyes are very prominent. So film and television acting is not really about the lines that you say. It's about what you're thinking and what you're feeling. 
and the words have, have importance. I mean, the words have a definition and the words lend themselves to what you're going through. But really, it's about what you're thinking and feeling. The words kind of don't matter. And one of the things that you find in the circle exercises, the words really do not matter. They have no bearing on what's happening. And it really helps you to understand, oh, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I want to say, what my heart says is why we're watching. <laughs> and then the final and the most, for me, the most powerful benefit is that in life, you know, we put up walls around our emotions. You know, we don't live our emotions on our sleeve. We, we manage them for the most part. It's a very healthy coping mechanism to get through life. And you may know some people that don't, that every emotion they feel, they fully express. And boy, is that exhausting. But so we put up these walls, right? But as actors, we have to have access to those emotions. And what the circle exercise very often does, and that these are the most powerful moments in the circle to me, are the ones where People believe their circumstances and are emotionally moved, and it helps you to break down those walls to a degree so that when you're playing a role, you have access to those feelings because it ha- you have to have that. So there's a lot of benefits to the circle. Those are the four big ones. Accepting your circumstances as truth, understanding what it feels like to be in the moment, the words don't really matter, and tearing down those emotional walls. There are lots of other benefits. Those are the four big ones. It's like the Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Uh, And so that's what we do. And the more you do this exercise, to which Brian can attest, the deeper the benefits go. The more access you have to the emotions, the the more you understand, oh, the words don't matter. The more you do it, the better. Yeah, I've I've taken it a few times, about 18, which is about... Non-actor friends are like, what are you crazy? No, but it's a really good exercise. It's it's uh, like I say, I, I think I was a little bit slower accessing my emotions, and I think one of the things because I wanted to be an actor so much, that's what I was living. I got to do this. I got to be right, and we have slowly chipped away at that, you know. And uh, I was very fidgety in the audition room, so working away from that, <laughs> the pendulum swings. So very fidgety to very still. You got to be a yeah. little alive, Brian. Oh wait, I got to do what? <laughs> so it's been it's been right. a great journey, and. I thought about this before we started recording. We're recording Halloween 2023 for those listening. It has been four years since my circle exercise. It was like October 28th. And by the time this comes out, four years since the premiere class that I took. Wow. Wow. You've come a long wow. way. Wow. Yes, thank way. you. Thank you. You've come a long way too, Jim. I just want to let you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Jim, one of the things we've asked other guests, Brian and I have taken your classes, so we know your history Mm-hmm. But especially more experienced actors, we like to hear how their journey began. Mm. Can you take us back? Tell us what got you interested in being an actor. Mm-hmm. I live right now, I live about 100 yards, maybe if that much, from Mandeville Elementary School. And we moved here when I was in fourth grade. And in fourth grade, I got the lead in the classroom play. I don't remember the play, but I remember that I was a judge and I was judging all of like the pencils. I just loved it. It was exciting. And that was, that's really set the hook. So coming up, whenever there was a chance to do a play, whether it was in middle school, I would do that. And then in high school, I did the high school plays. And then when I was a senior in high school, I was at Mandeville High and there's a community theater up the road in Covington and I did community theater plays there. And then when I graduated between high school and college, I did plays there as well in the community theater playmakers. And then I went to Tulane and studied theater there. Started out undecided because, you know, my dad wasn't sure if, you know, and I, I was I was on the fence because I didn't know if you could do this. And I took an acting for non-majors class in my first semester. And I was like, that's all I want to do. So I told my dad, he was like, OK, OK, get your degree and then we'll get you a job at a bank or something. <laughs> I was like, OK, because 
his parents, you know, he was born in the middle of the depression and his parents, yeah. you know, lived through that. So that's that whole mindset is like, you can't make a, you can't do anything in the arts. You don't, you have to, you know, get something stable, mm-hmm. but I decided not, that's what I wanted to do. And he supported me and, and he was, you know, it was, he never said this, but it was kind of like, yeah, my son, the actor. And then I booked something. He's like, my son, the actor. So, <laughs> cause he was a trial attorney and, and they're all frustrated actors. <laughs> you know, in fact, at Playmakers, the, the community theater that I was talking about, you go see a play there, there's probably about a 75% chance that there's a lawyer on the stage. So they all, they do the plays. They all do the plays there. So I got my, uh, my degree. I started out in New Orleans working in film and television. I still lived in Mandeville. I moved back to Mandeville after my college experience. And there really was no film scene here. There were a lot of local commercials, non-union stuff, industrials, but mostly it was all non-union. And then every once in a while, there'd be, you know, a movie come to town. You know, uh, I remember Clint Eastwood's Tightrope was one over in Baton Rouge. Everybody's all American with Dennis Quaid and John Goodman, which is Mm, kind of how John Goodman came down here. But I got a role in an HBO movie. And it was called Double Crossed. It was a story of a guy named Barry Seal who was running drugs for the Colombians. And actually, they, they mm-hmm. did another version of that called American Made here. And I worked on mm-hmm. that too. Double Cross was my first project. And that's how I became SAG eligible. For years prior to that, I was, I was like, I wanted to be in the union because to me, that was the mark of a professional because I wanted to be a pro. And so uh, I became eligible. I did a scene with Dennis Hopper and I became eligible and I joined. And I stayed for another, I was in probably 91 because I got my SAG card in 92. And I stayed in, in New Orleans for another five years. And then at the end of 97, I moved up to Los Angeles because I'd built a lot of credits here. I'd worked with Robert Duvall and I'd worked with multiple, you know, on multiple television shows and TV movies. And I did a scene with Annabeth Gish and, and a made for TV movie. And I did a scene with Craig T. Nelson. And I ended up working with him again out in Los Angeles, which was kind of cool. He didn't coach. Remember, but that's okay. Yeah, right. Coach. And he's the voice of Mr. Incredible. He's also, he was in a great show called Parenthood. Oh, yeah. He and, uh, he and Bonnie Bedelia. And they were both in the TV movie that I worked on. But I digress. So I built up a pretty good resume before I moved up to Los Angeles. And then I sort of, you know, started from scratch again. But then eventually ended up booking a regular amount of projects. And that's where I started teaching, too. I started as a student at this in, in this uh, school out there. And after about a year, the woman asked me if I want to be an instructor. So I said, heck yes. So I dumped all of my other survival jobs. And that was it. I started there in like, I think it was October. No. Yeah, it was October of uh, like 91, I want to say. At the end, at, at December, I was prepped to go home for Christmas, come back home for Christmas. And the woman said, oh, and by the way, when you come back, Annie's coming off maternity leave. I didn't realize it was a temporary position. So I had no job when I was coming oh. back. And I was like, okay, well, I guess the grand Los Angeles experiment is going to come to an end. So I came back from, Los A- from, uh, from Louisiana and the woman said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you work with, I I bring in groups of international students and why don't you work with them? So I was working with these groups of international students, which barely kept my nose above water. And my old, one of my old jobs, they they sent me a check from a 401k, which I didn't keep in a cash because I'm an actor. And that kept my nose above water. And then in June, it took about six months, but in June, one of the most popular instructors there left and there was a space for the, a real, a legit space for me then. So I jumped in and, and that's how it started. And I was there for about six and a half years. And then I left to do my own thing in LA. And all the while I'm working in film and television, working on national commercials for like Olive Garden and uh, Lending Tree and stuff like that. And then I was home in 2010 for Christmas and I met my now wife. And I'd been seeing, you know, all these people working in film and television. I'd go to see the movie out in Los Angeles and I'd go, 
That's my friend Mike Arana. What is everybody's working there? It's crazy. What am I doing out here in LA? Oh, that was successful in LA, but it's you know it's a it's a rough a rough go if you don't have a you know a strong team. And I was an older guy when I moved to LA. I was thirty three. You know, I wasn't the hot young twenty two something year old newest thing. You know, who had been a child star and then you know moved to the big time. Mm. I was you know, thirty three years old and I was like, I'm moving home. So I came home. Was able to afford to buy a home. I was able to marry the woman that I love so much. And I have a daughter, a handicapped daughter from a previous marriage, and she lives here. So I, it was a lot of reasons to come home. But when I met Lydia, my wife, it was that that's the sign. There it is. So I came home. Yeah. Now here we are. It's hard to believe. I've been teaching longer here. I've been teaching here for 11 years. No, yeah, 11 years. May made it 11 years. My longest stint has actually been here. And I've had a lot of celebrity, uh, I say celebrity, but a lot of my students go on to success, both in Los Angeles and here. You know, I worked with Ashley Green from Twilight. I worked with Angela mm-hmm. Johnson, who is best known for being Bon Quiqui on the uh, Mad TV. Mm-hmm. And she also does a stand-up bit about going to the Vietnamese nail salon, which is real, it was real, hit the viral for a while. There's a guy named Kyle Bornheimer, who is a funny guy and he's had success. And every time I watch The Office there, he's in one of the episodes. And I'm like, look at Kyle. And I knew these guys, like I could tell those guys had a quality that if they met the right project or the right people, they could have some success. You know, and since I've come home, there are a lot of people that have studied with me that have taken what they've learned and turned it into success to varying degrees. Um, Creek Wilson, I don't know if you know Creek, yeah, yeah. but Creek started studying with me and he'd been studying with other people. He's told me, he said, you know, I learned a lot with other people, but it didn't start booking until I started working with you. And I don't take credit for his book and stuff because he's got to do it, right? But I do know that the ideas and concepts and tools that I gave him helped. And then, you know, the highest profile person recently that I've worked with is a guy named Greg Tarzan Davis. Yeah. Greg, Greg came to work with me. He was with an agent in town and uh, he came to work with me and he's a driven guy. He's just, he's very focused on what he wants. His motto is don't get tired. So he was like, I want to, I want more. I don't want to just come once a week. I said, well, you can come twice a week if you want. And so, you know, I said, it's going to be the same script twice a week. He said, that's okay. So he came to class twice a week and built his skills and built his skills and moved out to LA. Actually, I coached with him over the internet on a few things and he booked a job in Chicago, Chicago PD or one of those shows. And one day I got a call out of the blue. Guess what? I booked that job where you coach. I was like, yes. Super excited for him. Goes out to LA. He had these long dreadlocks. And he was like, should I cut my dreads? I was like, well, they're going to get you some jobs, but they're going to preclude you from a lot of them. He cut his dreads. Two or three weeks later, he has an audition for a little two-line part in Top Gun Maverick. Auditions for that, they like him, they book him. They like him, they expanded his role, they gave him more to say. Tom Cruise takes a liking to him and then brings him over into Mission Impossible 8. And so two-parter. So he's the first part came out right before the strike. I went to a screening of that. That was a lot of fun. But you know, he's had some big-time success. Nice. And a lot of these guys, yeah. and I'm, I'm the only person he's ever studied with. Now, that doesn't mean that if you study with me in four years, you're going to be working with Tom Cruise. But you can become a very steady working actor. Which is why you call your place? The Working Actor Studio with Jim Gleason. There it is. So that's my story. That's my history right there. Excellent. So I'm trying to do I'm trying to do the math in my head, not counting teaching as a survival job because that's uh-huh. I consider that part of the industry. Mm-hmm. How long was it for you till you felt comfortable? not needing, I I don't mean necessarily financially comfortable, but just Mm -hmm. comfortable not needing a survival job Mm -hmm. aside from teaching when you started out in LA, Uh because I know it's expensive out there. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I had to. I was working as a telephone operator for when I first moved out there. One of my friends from New Orleans uh, had moved out there. And I was like, Eric, you know, I'm, I'm looking for work. He said, I'll hook you up where I work at 1-800-DENTIST. So as a telephone operator there, it was founded by two actors who started this as their survival job out of the garage, where if you don't have a dentist, you call that number and then they have member dentists and they, you know, hook you up in your local area with what you need. And so I was working there and there were some, there was all actors that worked there, which was pretty cool. I say all actors, there were some non-actors, but a lot of the people there, most of them were actors. In fact, I worked with a guy named Seamus Dever, who, if you've ever seen the show Castle, he's one of the two junior detectives. There's an Irish one mm. and a Hispanic one. Well, Seamus is the Irish one. I think his name is something mm. like Kevin, Kevin, uh, some, st- you know, stereotypical Irish last name. So I worked with him and I worked on Castle. So I got a chance to go and sit down with him and hang out with, with Seamus, which was cool and have a little reunion. And then, uh, Angela Kinsey also worked there as a telephone operator and she went on to play Angela on the office and, and then she obviously ditched her day job. So that was my first survival job. And I was there for about three and a half years. Um, I also had a second survival job at the same time, dropping dummy mail around the city of Los Angeles. It would when he got to his destination, they would track, okay, how long did it take it to get there? PricewaterhouseCoopers was the accounting firm, and they would basically track the efficiency of the U.S. Postal Service. I know it sounds uh. exciting. It's about as dull as it sounds. <laughs> so both both of those jobs were a drag, but the people at Dentist, I'll tell you, the people that I worked for were cool. The job and the pay were a drag, but the people, <laughs> I've, got, I've got lifelong friends from that job, which is really wonderful. In answer to your question, TJ, the only way that I could have ditched those jobs was to have, I'm a believer in God, so God opened the door for me to be a teacher because I'm a communicator and I'm an educator So and a performer. It wasn't a question of whether I was comfortable or not. I knew, always knew that I'd have to have something while I was working my way to the point where I wanted to be. I just saw it as part of the gig, you know? Yeah. You know, waiting tables, there's a lot. You, I didn't wait. Well, I did wait tables for a hot minute. You know, in the job waiting tables, you got a lot of tasks. You got to collect menus. You got to see people. You got to now collecting, getting your tips. That's the big, that's the best part of the job. But the rest of it, there's other stuff you got to do. For me, acting was was something, that's the best part of the job. There's other stuff I also got to do. Yeah. That's the way I always kind of looked at it. And now everybody says, well, didn't you have a, like a fallback plan? Didn't you have like a double major where you majored in something and minored in something so you could fall back on it? And I was like, no, no, I didn't because I don't, I didn't want to fall back. So if I don't give myself a fallback, it forces my hand to make it work. And so I did. Uh, that's a good way of, of putting that. I've, I've heard other actors say that, that they intentionally didn't have a fallback plan because it, it was make it or break it. It makes it a little more critical that they succeed. Yeah. Yeah. In for a penny, in for a pound. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it and do something else. And, and there's nothing else I want to do. And yeah. I've been blessed in that. One of the main reasons I moved to Los Angeles was for training. Because when I was here in New Orleans after college, there was nowhere to train. There was, And, I, and the college degree that I got was in theater. It wasn't for film and television. They, a lot of schools now, like Tulane, Loyola, and UNO, and LSU, they have film departments. We didn't have that. You know, I had to go where there was training. I knew I needed training. So that's one of the reasons that I moved out to LA, as you, to which you guys can attest. Everything that I learned out there, whether it's from where I studied, whether it's from my own life experience, for, from teaching there for 10 years, everything that I learned out there, I packaged into you know, what I do here. And so now people don't have to leave New Orleans. They can come to where I, where I teach and they can learn 40 years of experience and learn from that and implement those tools. It's a shortcut 
It's taken me 40 years to get here. What I want for my students is, hey, let's do it in a year or less. It, it depends. You know, it depends on opportunity coming up. Yeah. Yeah, I was interested in it. We, we had talked about this before. When I was 13, one of those production companies came to town. My mother put us in for it. We got the job, me and my friend. And that night on the news, it turned out to be a scam. So <laughs> it, it broke my heart, not only for me, that I accidentally cheated my mom out of money. And so I never <laughs> thought being in this was possible. I'd watch the movies. I'd watch the behind the scenes. You know, you kind of got that thought in the back of your head. I'd like to do that, blah, 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 blah. So yeah. then after I did that background work and then did the stand-in work and I got, I want to do this. So who do I want to study with? And I kind of looked around. It's like, there's somebody, there's somebody. And I thought about it. I said, I want to work with somebody who actually does the job. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I think that's the most important thing for an acting teacher. If, if you're looking for an acting teacher and uh, you hear the phrase, oh, those who can't teach. Well, they can, but they suck at it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't give right. you the right advice. So yeah. trying to formulate my question, what would you tell whether the person's Older like me starting, mm-hmm. young and fresh, right out of high school. Mm-hmm. What is the, the main thing that they would have to do to be an actor? Well, the first thing that anyone has to have to get into this is a real desire to do the task, to act. If you're getting into it because you want to be famous, if you're getting into it because you want to you know, be a star or you want to be on a certain show or whatever it is, you have to love it for its own sake, right? Yeah. Because there are people, if you, if you get into it and you just want to be a star, right? Or if you get into it and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I want to come to class, but my, my nephew has his birthday on that day. I can't make it to class. Well, then save your money and don't do it because there are people that go to sleep thinking about it. They wake up thinking about it. While they're eating, they think about it. And everything they do is geared toward that. Brian, you're one of those. Yeah, thank you. And someone who is like not really dedicated to it, that's who you're up against and you won't win. I had a student back in Los Angeles. His name is Jonathan Chesner. He's a real interesting guy. A surfer, not a stoner, but you you could believe he was a stoner. He was that kind of a surfer, <laughs> surfer vibe guy. Dude. Exactly. Yeah. It's a real fun loving, like quirky, quirky dude. I love Jonathan Chesner. Good dude. One day I get a call. It's Chesner. And he says, I say, Hey, Ches. He says, Hey, I have to ask you a question. Should I do this? I said, No. And I know he was asking, he was looking for me to pump him up. I said, No. Mm. I said, Exactly what I just told you guys. There are so many people that want to do this that if you have any doubt, you shouldn't do it. Well, he went on. I saw him on a couple of shows. He was on an episode of Bones and he did a regional commercial for Jack in the Box. So he took that and he applied himself. Now, the roles that he played, like Jack in the Box, he pulled up in a in a pant, you know, in a conversion van <laughs> with a surfboard on top. Yeah. And it basically played himself. Hey, listen, there's and that's another thing I would say is no matter how old you are, you never it's a crazy industry. You don't know. There are no rules. Don't let anyone tell you that you're too old. Don't let anyone tell you that you they don't know. They think they know. They don't know. And here's a story to exemplify that. I'm living in Los Angeles. I, uh, there's a convention out there. It was called Actor Fest. And it was a convention of actor services, like photographers had their booths and different studios had their booths. We had a booth. The Margie Haber Studio had a booth. So I'm there at the booth. And this elderly couple comes up, and they were in their 70s. And they walk up and, hi, what do you guys do? I said, well, you know, we're, well, we told them who we were. Well, we're, we're just here from Baton Rouge. I said, oh, from Louisiana too. Oh, that's great. 
yeah, I'm retired. And we just decided, let's get in the RV. We'll go out to Los Angeles and try it. And I thought, oh, that's adorable. Bless your heart. Uh, yeah, bless your heart. You're going to walk around for a while. You'll, you'll drive the streets and then you'll go home. And that will have been a fun experience. It was just great. And don't you know, I'm watching, I think he said his name was Clyde. I'm watching television. This Bud Light commercial comes on with these Italian guys sitting at a bar. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? Right. And this guy walks in, they go, Hey, how you doing? This guy, he's got a 10 gallon, gallon hat on. He goes, hi, I'm doing good. My name is Clyde. I'm from Texas and blah, 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 blah. And just goes off. Sure enough, it was that dude. And it was a popular enough commercial to where they did a sequel, a follow-up commercial, same character. So you never know. You never know. So you need to love it and don't let anything get you down. Yep. You just go for it. Go for it. And you're going to have ups and downs, hills and valleys. You're going to have successes and failures. But failures aren't failures. Failures is a chance to learn. That's all it is. Yep. Yeah. This, this industry will kick you in the teeth any chance it gets and not even mean it. It's just so put your mouth. Put, I got put your the mouth audition. Guard in. I, got, I got the. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Put your, put your mouth guard in and go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel really good about this audition. I didn't get it. Oh, now come back. Yeah. Okay, I'm doing the next one. It's you're going to go through tough times. It's it's you have yeah. to persevere. And you know what I do is I still do this. I'll do an audition and then forget about it. I just look forward to the next audition. That's it. And whatever comes back comes back. The only reason I look back on my auditions is say uh, to judge whether or not I, I did thorough preparation is whether I was really you know doing my best. That's the mm-hmm. only way that I look back at an audition. I don't, I don't, you can't judge success booking as a, as a success or a failure. Obviously, you book something, it's a success. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that you don't book it does not mean it's a failure. There are so many factors after you do your best that are out of your control. You have no idea. I saw a documentary about these guys that had an ACDC tribute band and ACDC found out about it. Their, their singer, Brian Johnson, had to sit out and they were, they auditioned this dude. They really liked him. Who'd they pick? Axl Rose to finish the tour. Oh. So it was ACDC and Axl Rose. Actually, I watched some video. Axl Rose did an okay job. This dude would have done fine. But it, it, it comes to the point where, okay, do we want to get some unknown tribute band guy? Or are we going to get you know, the lead singer for Guns N' Roses? A little bit of fame and bump it up. So, yeah. That's it. That's it. So there's so much out of your control. Like I, one of my favorite auditions I didn't book. I auditioned for a movie called The Secret with uh, Josh. Oh, what's his last name? Is it Dumel? Josh? Oh. No, no, not, not Dumel. Josh. I don't know. Katie Holmes. It was a great audition. I was really super happy with it. They put Jerry O'Connell in the role because Jerry O'Connell's a known quantity. You know, that's what they wanted. So they got it. Now I have to look up Josh. Go ahead. You guys ask me another question. <laughs> I was going to do the that. Josh Brolin. No, it wasn't Josh Brolin. It's the blonde haired guy from Sweet Home Alabama, isn't it? Yes, it is. I just don't and know. Because he was in the he's Hulk in as uh, Glenn Talbot, I think. He, yeah. Betty Ross is the rival for Betty's affections, to go exactly. back to the comments. That's exactly who it was. Josh Lucas. Oh. Uh, Josh Lucas is his name. And I think he does the voice for uh, the Home Depot radio commercials. Huh? Next time you hear one, ask yourself, is that Josh Lucas? <laughs> and if you answer yes, you might be right. <laughs> what else you got? You got any TJ? I could keep us here for hours, but I, I know that's not reasonable. Yeah, just we're coming up on the time. So if you want to shut us down with the with the outro, TJ. Yeah. Jim Gleason, thank you so much for joining us. Just about every episode that we've done, we've had somebody that has either been to the circle exercise <laughs> or knows about the circle exercise. 
And that seems to be the common bond in this NOAA film scene. And we recommend it to everybody that, that listens and comes on. So we're very, very grateful that you took some time out to sit down with us today. We know you're busy. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. My pleasure. Enjoy working with you guys in class. And this has been fun. Thanks, Teach. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.